Hey Bridge family, I'm Heath Haynes. I'm one of the elders here at the Bridge, uh, and I'm also part of one of our Heights House churches. And I'm just grateful to be with you once again, even though it's through video, to know that we are somehow connected and sharing this journey of growing uh, in our pursuit of Jesus and growing and experiencing the ministry of the Word. So I just I'm grateful for this time and pray that it's fruitful for us. Um, you know, we've been going through Mark. Um, we're coming into Mark 6 today. Go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Um, thus far, we've been working as we've been looking at the first half of Mark to build uh, a case for the identity of Jesus as King, as we've been following this thread that Mark lays out for us. And in doing that, we also want to ask, how does Christ's identity as King relate to us and, and why does it matter to us? And how does it inform our understanding of our own identity in him? So it's been a very fruitful uh, process and journey so far. I pray that it continues to be so and excited for what we have today. As I was kind of preparing for this this week, a, a thought came to mind. Um, you know, there is a difficulty for us understanding uh, a king and valuing a king. We as Americans you know, don't have a good impression of monarchies or kings, right? I mean, after all, just look to Hamilton, you know, you'll be back, uh, I better not do that. Let's actually talk to something a little more legitimate. Just the, the origins of our existence, right? We were, we were an occupied state of Britain. We, we were ruled by a removed king who, you know, we felt was uh was using us for their good and not really benefiting us right so that's kind of our origins throughout history we don't really have good examples of of kings being good um you know a king is someone who has absolute power and authority and as the famously said by lord acton the the, the british historian he says power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So, so we have a hard time with kingship, if we're honest. And then even now, when we just think about leaders with power, it's often hard to really feel that our leaders are working for our interests. Instead, it feels that they're just minding their own, their ambitions, their, their, their keeping of control and keeping of their seat of power and prestige. So with, with that being said, as we're working through these first eight chapters of Mark, establishing the identity of Jesus as king, we have to understand that Jesus is showing us the exemplar of what a king should be. He's showing us a good kingship. He's showing us what it looks like for absolute authority to be expressed rightly. And what, what our prayer, what I hope is happening for us in this, is that it's liberating us from defining good leadership by that which has been marred by a fallen nature and sinful flesh. So we want to look to Jesus for what is good and not to just earthly leadership. Before we go any further, I'd love to pray for us. So pray with me. Um, Lord, we just want to come to you now and surrender. Um, so just surrender these moments to you, Lord. We want to come to your word Lord, uh, expectantly, God, we want to come to your word knowing that it is the very expression of your heart and character, that it's authoritative, that it's from you for us, Lord, that it reveals, Lord, who you are. It tells us who we are and shows us our purpose in this world and every bit of promise that we have. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, just for this time, 
Lord, I pray that your truth, your work would take root in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that it would catch a flame in our lives and it would result in lives that bear your fruit, that bear your name, that, that extend goodness and mercy and compassion and grace and hold out the love and truth of Jesus for all the world to see. Lord, so unify us in this work. Lord, help us not just to nod our heads at this and just to come into a posture of like, this is what we do, but that we would come into this as a time of communion and fellowship with you and one another. I pray that you would take this teaching, use it to invigorate the spaces that we share in our house churches and other parts of life, or that it would sharpen one another and that it would lead to, a, again, us growing in our Christ likeness, us being unified as a church in the world, knowing who you are and what you've done in Christ. So we surrender, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So... We're in Mark 6 today. Go ahead, pause the video or audio if you want, and take about seven minutes uh, to read it or listen to it. It would, uh, it would help uh, just kind of bring you into the space. So if we're all here together now, uh, more specifically, as we think about Jesus being a good king, and as we've been doing, today what we're going to focus on is to see how Jesus is our benevolent king. To define benevolent, benevolent means well-meaning and kindly, serving a charitable or others-focused rather than profit-making purpose. So today we're going to see four ways that Jesus, our God and King, who has absolute authority, might, and power, models his wisdom, love, and character as one who is also a benevolent king who is well-meaning, kind, and works for the flourishing of his kingdom and those in it, and not just for his own gain. The first way we can see that Jesus is a benevolent king is found in the first six verses of Mark 6. Let's read Mark 6, 1 through 6. It'll be right there on the screen, or you can just listen. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is, this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, or Joseph and Judas, and Simon? Are not, are, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could, not, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the village, the village's teaching. So the first way we see that Jesus is a benevolent king is that Jesus is a benevolent king through patience. We see the scene here. <clears throat> Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up, and yet he's being dismissed. He's being rejected. He's being looked at as delusional or crazy. And you have to realize that the, this is happening not just by the people of Nazareth, not just by casual acquaintances or other other people, but what we know through the rest of the Gospels, even in Jesus' own description here, is that some of his family didn't understand and believe and acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, really, until the resurrection and after, like James. We see that in James, his brother. <clears throat> and what, what we know here is it affected Jesus, right? It says, he marveled because of their unbelief. Like that marvel, it's a deep, personal 
impact and reflection as a result of what he's seeing. And you have to know that it broke Jesus's heart. It broke his heart both on the human level of desiring what is good for his loved ones and and again it being personal but then it also impacted him as God right God who hates the brokenness of the world so Jesus was impacted by this and when we come to this we must register this this show of patience and how magnificent it is we have to we can't miss this it's something we can say that Jesus is patient, but we really have to register because we we need to see Jesus is God. He is king, right? He is God and king, and he has lived with these people his whole life. He's revealed himself through his way of life. Remember, he's lived this life without sin. <clears throat> so up to this point, he's 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 lived a perfect example of humanity. And then now, in this days of ministry, he's, he's revealed himself through authoritative teaching and by, give, by exhibiting miracle after miracle of healing and casting out demons, and yet they reject him. I mean, for a king of absolute worth and authority, an earthly king, how would they respond? What would they have done? I would think indignation. I would think not patience, but impatience. An earthly king would either reject them immediately and cast them out of the kingdom for disparaging his rule and reign and name, or an earthly king would have exerted the full weight of their authority and forced them to bow. But Jesus showed patience. He gave them space and time and continued to give opportunity. Why would he do that? Why did Jesus do that? Because it is Jesus' desire that all would be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus gives space because he doesn't just need to be acknowledged or validated as king. He gives us space and time because he desires relationship with you, because he desires your salvation, and he knows that we have to get over our own unbelief. We have to get out of our own way, and he gives us space to do that and yet continues to make opportunity, continues to, to show his grace, to show his love, continues to reveal himself. Make no mistake, there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. As, if you recall, as we studied through the Minor Prophets, we saw that for God's promises of overcoming a sinful world to be kept, there is at the same time of that moment of keeping a promise, there's also a moment of judgment where those who have not surrendered, who have not repented and believed, that will, will get what they chose. They will, they will get that they chose themselves over God. They chose, they chose to, to be their own sovereign, to be their own refuge, and God will give them that. But out of his goodness, mercy, grace, and compassion, Jesus gives space and time for your unbelief. 
and he woos you over and over again with his grace and mercy in the midst of our own sin, our own rebellion, and the difficulties of this world. Do you need to surrender today? So Jesus is a benevolent king through patience. Next, let's look at uh, verses 30 through 44. And these verses are connected to a a part we see in 7 through 13 that I'm going to summarize real quick. So in 7 through 13, we see that Jesus sent out the 12 disciples two by two. He sent them to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits and he gave them the ability to heal. And then he also, he said, take no provisions and he prepared them to be rejected in the places that they went. I'm not quite sure how much time has passed as we come into verse 30, but what I know is that it was enough time and it was enough difficulty that the disciples returned to Jesus weary, wiped out, empty, having empty tanks. So let's pick up there in verse 30. We're going to read through 44. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away, and go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? That's about a year's wages. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the grass, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So to be clear, we see a miracle here, right? And we see a miracle of provision. We see there, there's, it says there's 5,000 men. So in all actuality, there's probably between 10 and 12,000 people here because there are women and children there as well. And so we see an amazing moment here. And so when we think about Jesus as the benevolent king, in these verses, one of the things we see is that Jesus is a benevolent king through compassion. What was happening? Jesus was on his way to take his disciples on a retreat to rest and to recharge when they, when they see a crowd that had gathered. And it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There are two things that Jesus reveals about his kingship in this show of, comp- of compassion. First is that a good and benevolent king is willing to lay aside his agenda for the sake and needs of others. This is not how we think 
of kings acting, right? Once again, just returning to what we've been thinking about, kings that we think of seek their own agenda, right? They answer to no one. Jesus showed us the heart of our true king and that he is willing to lay aside his plans and cares for others. You have to recognize this is Jesus humbling himself. I mean, again, a king answers to no one. A king bows to no one. A king tends to no one. They, tend, they, they only have to worry about themselves because they are the ultimate authority and power. And as the king goes, it goes, as the world would say. But we see Jesus, the king, the ultimate king, the creator and king of all things, humbling himself. Jesus is submitting himself to the needs and desires of others here. And this is but a pointer, a shadow, a call to the greatest way in which Jesus did that. And we see it spoken to in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, we see that Jesus laid down his claim of the throne, humbled himself, entered in to meet our need, and gave of himself. And we see that Jesus' compassion cost him something it cost him everything it not only costed him cost him his physical life it cost him the presence of the father for the moments that he took on our sin and it was not easy remember his cry if there's any way lord take this cup from me but my will not be done but yours right so his compassion put others first that's a benevolent king. Second, the compassion of Jesus addresses our deepest need by revealing his nature and authority to us. And we have to recognize like, that his act of compassion, and it, one of the greatest outcomes is him revealing himself to us and us understanding and knowing him. A shepherd, it says he, he, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd provides a safe place, provides protection, and provides sustenance. Notice what Jesus did in this desolate place. I mean, I hear Psalm 23 all over this. And if you don't know it, I'm not going to go there now for time. But either pause the video, go read it, or read it afterwards. But we see this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. In this desolate place, Jesus created a place to sit down that was like the green pastures and provided all they needed. Right? In this place, it's a place of rest a place of peace, a place of wholeness, a place of security. He gave them a feast of both his word for their spirit and food for their bodies. And in doing so, what did Jesus do? Jesus revealed that he is concerned for our well-being now and forever, for all of eternity. Jesus wants to meet our every need. And this is not a name and claim it. What this is saying is that man does not live on bread alone. Humanity does not live on bread alone. The most satisfying thing is Jesus. And just a little aside, like Jesus for rest was taking them to a place where there was nothing but stillness in him when he was taking his disciples. He said, hey, let's go away to a desolate place. All that there was to offer was stillness and, and time with Jesus. 
And so Jesus is saying, I am enough for your present need as well as I am concerned about your eternal need. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Are you recognizing Jesus' compassion to you today and allowing him to meet your deepest need? Or are you just focused on the most surface need, your circumstances, your stress, your difficulty? Jesus doesn't ignore those. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't carry the burden that's not yours. Bring your burden to Jesus. Find that his grace is sufficient, that his strength is for today. Because you have peace with God through him, you have peace with everything. Because you are whole, because of Jesus, you are you are never lacking. So Jesus shows himself to be the benevolent king through his patience and his compassion. Now we see in these same verses that Jesus is a benevolent king through wisdom. To define wisdom, wisdom is the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Or to say it shorter, you know, knowledge, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. And let's make sure we're not just thinking of earthly experience and knowledge. We're talking about eternal, God's kingdom. And so we're talking about the fullness of all the, the riches of understanding and knowledge and experience that God has. This is the kind of wisdom Jesus Jesus is working to bring you to the fruition of God's will and goodness and desire. And so to think about Jesus working his wisdom as a show of his benevolent kingship, we have to answer this question. What was the purpose of the ministry of Jesus? So let's start high level and work our way down. Jesus came to redeem the world. He came to redeem the world through what? First off, by glorifying God, by coming as the promised Messiah that would give his life as a ransom for many. That's the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming. He, Jesus came to die, to atone for you and me so that we could have fellowship with a holy God. But then also, his, his, his death for us is only effective for those who believe. It is through belief that we actually experience the riches of grace of his sacrifice and resurrection. So people also, Jesus, the work of Jesus' ministry was to bring people to belief. So Jesus worked to reveal himself and prove that he was the Messiah, which he did through the way that he lived, through his teaching, and the signs and miracles that he did. But then also, it didn't stop there and went another layer. This wasn't just to be accomplished once and for all at that moment, but was meant to be accomplished through the disciples, through the church that was to come. So Jesus had to also raise up his disciples that would take up the mantle after Jesus ascended. So Jesus is working to redeem the world. He's working to, to reveal himself as the Messiah, and he's working to prepare the church, to prepare the disciples, to prepare you and me for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the people around us that so desperately need to encounter Jesus. So we can see in our passages that Jesus in his wisdom is doing the work of preparing his disciples to be able to persevere and carry out the ministry of the gospel. So there's two things that Jesus does to show his benevolent wisdom in leading the disciples. He gives them ownership and authority before they're completely ready. And in doing that, he grows their faith, one and two. So first, why is it important that Jesus gave the disciples ownership and authority before they were ready? 
And we can say that they weren't ready because at the end of this chapter and really for the rest of, of Mark, we see that the disciples still don't totally get who Jesus is. They still don't totally understand what he's doing and what they're doing with him and what the ultimate point is. We see that they're still in process. Yes, they trust him to, and, they, and they respect him and they're following him and they've given their lives to him, but they still don't get it. There's still some hardness of heart as we see them described at the end of this chapter. So Jesus sends the disciples out to heal, to deliver from demons, and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And then he tells them to feed at least 10,000 people when they have nothing. Before they have the ability and capacity to do any of those things. We see that Jesus called the disciples to do something they were totally incapable of on their own. He said, do miracles, right? They, don't, they can't do miracles without Jesus. Remember, they're wiped out. And yet he put their rest on hold for the sake of others. So now he's saying, you have no strength in yourself, but continue to go and do. And then, he, and then it's something physical, tangible, money. He says, go and provide. And they're like, we don't have any money. So we see them called beyond themselves in, in spiritual matters and physical well-being and physical realities and intangible needs. One of the kindest things that Jesus does is calling us to places that we are incapable of overcoming on our own. Why do I say that? What happens in those moments? We grow in our faith because we grow in understanding who God is, who we are, and how he works in and through our lives. That's the greatest gift. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When, what this is saying, when we meet the end of ourselves, we see the goodness of God. When we find out that our hands have fallen short, we see the strength and faithfulness of God's hand, God's hands. What else do we need? James 1, 2 through 5, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When we go through trials, we understand who God is. We understand what Jesus has done for us. We understand our hope in this world. And that leads to real wisdom. Whenever you're facing something that seems beyond your ability to handle, take heart. God is working in you, for you, and through you for the sake of his glory and your own good as you grow in your understanding of who he is. There is nothing we need more than that. Notice this. One other thought here. The disciples, in this moment when Jesus said, go and feed them, Go and get the bread and loaves, you know, the, the bread and the fish. Go and disperse. I'll, I'll say this. I don't think the disciples were acting in faith. Again, they didn't understand fully. They were acting in trust. So, you know, they were acting in in, in, in good, good uh, intent. But they were acting in obedience. Again, they, 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 they revered Jesus to what they understood but they didn't fully understand. And I'll just say this important this important reality. Our obedience leads to our faith and experiencing the assurance God gives. Our obedience strengthens, deepens, grows our faith and leads us to experience the assurance God gives. 
What are you facing today that you need to surrender into the only hands that can handle it? Where do you need to trust the wisdom of Jesus for your life and walk in obedience and allow him to work and grow your faith? So we see that Jesus shows himself to be a benevolent king through his patience, compassion, and wisdom. I want to close with with one last insight into his benevolence. After feeding the multitude, Jesus sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, the lake, once again, it means to meet them later. And he goes up on a hill to pray, and the day passes, and evening, the evening passes, and it's later in the night. And Jesus looks out across the water, and he sees his disciples are still in the boat, struggling against a mighty wind. And you know they're weary, right? They've, they've been, they haven't rested yet. Maybe they've eaten, but they're still weary. They're weary by, by the work they've been doing, and they're weary by the, by the battle of the current storm. Jesus walks out to them on the water, and they're terrified when they saw him, not understanding who he was. What Jesus says in this moment in response to them is so important for us. We can, we can be told, we can hear the words that Jesus is patient, that he's compassionate and wise in his goodness and how he deals with us. But it can still be very difficult for us to understand what's happening in our lives, to understand what he is doing. In Mark 6.50, we hear Jesus' invitation and promise to us. It says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And lastly, we see Jesus is a benevolent king through presence. When Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He's saying, I'm here. I'm with you. I will deliver you. I will sustain you. My grace is sufficient. My peace is real. My deliverance is complete. My reconciliation, my adoption of you is done. You are sons and daughters. This is echoed in the Great Commission when Jesus charges us to go to the entire world. Maybe you've heard this before, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. I am with you always to the ends of the age. Jesus is parting words. After these words, he ascended into heaven. We're pretty familiar with that, with those few verses. What maybe we sometimes miss, and I appreciate this, I was speaking to a buddy of mine who's a pastor in San Antonio, uh, Gabe DeGarmo, this week, and, and he pointed out, he said, you know, the Great Commission is a response to an expression of doubt. In verse 17, it says, and some doubted, and then it goes straight into Jesus saying, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I'm giving it to you, and as you go, remember, I am with you. We're not alone. We can hear Jesus is patient, he's compassionate, he is wise, but we must remember that he is with us. We're not alone. 
We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given His Word. And we have each other, the church. God is meant to work through the family of faith, the priesthood of believers, to minister His grace and truth, to make us strong, to call us to what is good. We need Him. He's given Himself, and we need each other. You can trust Jesus as your benevolent King. He's compassionate, patient, wise, and present. Let me pray. So God, um, man, I am so humbled and grateful. Let us remember well, Lord, that you are a king who is in absolute control. You have full power and mighty mighty uh, power and strength. And you are majestic and glorious. Lord, I pray that we would struggle to attain in our minds to, uh, to, to understanding the fullness of those things as you are. Uh, let us also remember that you are our kind, that you are patient, compassionate, wise, and that you are present. So Lord, help us to, to live into this, to lean into this today. Help us to call each other to this every day as we, as we come alongside one another. Let, let this populate our prayers and our songs and our hymns and our spiritual songs. God, let us populate our, our mills and our conversations as we think on Jesus and revel in his work. So, Lord, we love you, God. We surrender all to you. We just pray you be glorified in us. And um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I pray you're well. I really hope to see you soon, God willing. And don't forget, we're better together for the glory of God. See you later. Bye.